Hey, Merry Christmas. Take your Bibles, go to Romans 11. That's as warm and fuzzy as I'm going to get this morning. How's that? Just kidding. If you take your Bibles, go to Romans 11. We're going to look at kind of an unorthodox um, passage for Christmas this morning, um, but that's okay. I think it actually is the overall theme of the Christmas story. So, Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33, is where we're going to be. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father God, I pray as we look at your word this morning, Father, we would see you clearly, that we would know you more. Give us eyes to see the things that otherwise we would miss. Give us ears to hear things that we've overlooked. Lord, may we find our hope and our peace in the precious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So as we look at Romans eleven thirty three to 36, let me just kind of unpack a couple of things to point out to you in this. You got, he said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The, the idea of Paul's hymn of praise about who God is right here is he's trying to get us to understand that when you try to comprehend the depth of his wisdom and the depth of his knowledge, that there is no way you can possibly find the bottom of it. it it's the bottomless cup of coffee. It just keeps coming. It just keeps, and there's no way that you can actually plunge to the very bottom, uh, understanding the depths of God's wisdom and God's knowledge, because God knows everything. God knows everything. There is nothing that is too big for him to be able to comprehend. I love this verse in Isaiah um, chapter 40, verse 12. It says this. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked the, the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? You get this picture of how big, how mighty, how massive God is. When you take all of the waters of, of all of the earth, you take all the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the streams, the puddles, and you take all of it and you accumulate it all together and you gather it all together and it sits in the palm of his hand. As you look into the night sky and you try to comprehend how far away those stars actually are, how massive they actually are, as God looks at them, he goes, it's about that big, not that far. Take all the dust of the earth and it says, he just takes it together and he says, okay, it weighs about that much. Takes the mountains and the hills and he puts them on a scale. To the perspective of God, those are seemingly insignificant because there is nothing too big for him. There's nothing greater than him. There's nothing larger than him that he can't wrap his head around. He wraps his hands around all of it, just his hands. Doesn't even need to stretch his arms. 
the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. There is nothing too big for him to comprehend. There is nothing too small for him that he will end up overlooking it. I don't know if you remember uh, a few years ago, there was this massive scientific discovery that they were thrilled about. Um, I won't get into all the details. I actually studied a lot about it just to try to wrap my head around it. Still don't understand it. Basically, they threw a bunch of atoms together and came up with this thing called the Higgs boson particle. Scientists referred to it as the God particle. And other scientists were livid that they would call it the God particle. But the idea of the God particle, the Higgs boson, is this. It, that, that tiniest of tiny particles is what gives all other particles matter. And, and, and it's this infinitesimal, it is just so absolutely small. And so, so this tiniest of particles gives everything matter. It holds the entire universe together. And God holds the Higgs boson particle together. Tells us in Psalm 56 that God even records our wanderings. He takes our tears and he stores them up in his bottle. Each moment that has brought us grief and anguish has been recorded in his book. There is nothing that escapes his notice. There's nothing too small. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. How unsearchable. That means even after careful examination, careful consideration, intense scrutiny, it's impossible to grasp his judgments and his ways. And those of us who have been in the faith for a long time, those of us who have walked with Jesus for a considerable moment, we, we understand that, we, we cling to that, we find ourselves anchoring in that truth at times, that, that his ways are so much greater than ours. In fact, in Isaiah 55, we, 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 you know, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We, we admit that truth. We confess that truth. We celebrate that, celebrate that truth, that, that God's ways are so much higher than ours. And then we challenge the truth with our incredible amount of wisdom and depth of experience. Something happens in our life that we wrestle with. Why? What are you doing? You know what you should have done? You should have done it this way. This would have made a whole lot more sense. It would have caused this to happen, this to happen. You see, you just... Am I the only one that's ever had that conversation? I hope not. That might disqualify me as your pastor. We know the truth. We just wrestle with it regularly, which I think is why Paul goes on. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? In Romans 9, Paul talks about the clay um, arguing with the potter. You don't get to do that. Know your place. Know his place. Know who he is. Know that his ways are so much more unsearchable than your own. And then he continues, who has ever known the mind of God? Sorry, and who has ever given to God? that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He says that God is the source. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. See, we're limited. You and I are limited. I'm particularly limited in things that I can create. I can't create very much. I know how to swing a hammer. I don't know how to hit things with it very often, but I can swing it. But we're limited with, with materials. We're limited with ideas. We're limited in our resources. We're limited in our abilities. And God's actually limited by nothing. 
He needs nothing. And I don't care how creative you are. In order to create something, you've got to start with something. God started with nothing. Spoke. And everything came into existence. He, he needs nothing. You know what that means? You have nothing to negotiate with. So he says, who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? You, you don't have the right to, to treat God like a vending machine. God, if I put in this coin and pull this lever, then I get, we used to have uh, in the dorm that I grew up in, uh, there was a, a soda machine. And whoever was responsible to fill the soda machine completely ignored where the sodas were supposed to go. So it's like, if this was supposed to be Coke and this was supposed to be Pepsi, they would just open the door and just chuck sodas in. So it was like playing the lottery. You never knew what you were going to get. So it's like, all right, man, I want a Coke. And so instead of just the 50 cents that the can of Coke would cost, you should probably go with $2 because you're going to end up buying a couple other sodas so you finally get the one you want. Isn't that the way we treat God sometimes? God, this is what I want, so I'm going to go to church today. All right, I didn't get exactly what I wanted, so I'm going to go next week and and I'm going to be nice to this person this week, and I'm going to throw a little bit in the offering, and I'm going to... Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? God exists apart from all of that. God actually owes you nothing. And the proper response to that truth, to him be the glory forever. Amen. The proper response to that truth as we examine his way of doing things is giving him glory. I mean, when you consider the things that God has done, you, do, you scratch your head. When you look at how God worked through the Old Testament, you see the story of Abraham. Okay, how does that make any sense? How does it make any sense to take Abraham and his wife away from his hometown and, and kind of lead him around, not telling him where he was going to go? How does that make any sense? How does it make any sense that Joseph would be sitting in a prison cell a couple of times? How does that make any sense? Why would God do that? Why would God allow that? <laughs> Why would God allow Daniel to spend the night in the lion's den? Why would God look and choose Israel, this small and insignificant nation, to be his special people? Why would God allow Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and see all the older brothers, certainly uh, um, more qualified to be king than the youngest one, but the youngest one walks in and God says, that's the one I want. Why would, why would God do all of those things? We scratch our head when we consider the ways of God. We scratch our head when we consider the ways of God, even in our own lives. When you lose your job. When you unexpectedly move across the country. When you experience that painful loss of relationship. Scratch your head, don't you? So in my life, any time that a job has been changed on me, it actually, looking back, I realize, has led me to greater opportunity. And the move across the country that was not expected brought us here, and I wouldn't change that for the world. And the loss of relationships in the past, well, I only have this to say. Every long-lost dream led me to where I am. Others may have broken my heart, they were like northern stars. God blesses the broken road that led me to you, baby doll. <laughs> First service, she walked out the door in the middle of me singing, reading that. I wasn't singing it or else you all should have walked out the door. But. And I make jokes. I know many of you are sitting in here and you are still in that, um, 
the unthinkable side of this. God's ways are unthinkable, unsearchable, unfathomable. I can't understand this. And, and many of you are sitting here right now, and that's where you are. The give glory to God side is certainly coming. It's a certainty. So don't miss the opportunity to do that even now as you sit asking the questions. It's how God works. It's unthinkable. It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. Then you apply that as you start reading through the details of the Christmas story. As you read through details of the Christmas story, you find so many things that just, it hurts your head to consider. So, so look, even, let's start with Mary. Mary, the scholars believe she was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15 when the angel appeared to her. She's from Nazareth, which to you and I doesn't mean a whole lot. That's a town you would never put on your resume. You see that as Jesus' ministry begins and people ask, anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, that's where she grew up. That's where she's from. This angel comes to her, tells her to not fear, tells her that God has blessed her with favor, has chosen her to bear the promised one, the Son of God, whose name will be Jesus. She is going to have a baby. And what's running through Mary's mind? We don't have to ask. We're just told in Mary, uh, in Mary chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Um, I don't want to get too detailed, so this should be pretty basic. Virgins don't have babies. I met with a man, probably it was, it was here, so it had to be within the last four and a half years, so like three or four years ago, who, who was um, really completely unfamiliar with Scripture. He had never spent, he didn't know anything about the Bible. His parents had never brought him to church. He knew nothing about Jesus. It was all completely foreign to him, and he was in the late 30s. It was crazy. And so having this conversation with him was kind of eye-opening. But he, he, he got to Luke and was reading through the book of Luke, and he's like, Pastor, i got to tell you, I, I can't get over this part where this virgin gets pregnant and has a baby. I can't get over that part. I don't understand that. How is that possible? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's kind of the point, dude. If everybody was to line up to ask God that question, how does a virgin have a baby? If everybody was to line up, you can get in line, and more than likely, you are standing somewhere behind this girl named Mary who is asking the same question. The angel tells Mary... Nothing is impossible with God. Unsearchable. Unthinkable. But nothing is impossible. You don't need to understand it in order for it to be true. Then you move on in the story to where the promised one is to be born. Bethlehem. Good old Bethlehem. Bethlehem I think in our mind's eye, we, we, we close our eyes and we imagine a scene in Bethlehem that is actually not accurate. I think we imagine this bright lights, bigger city, hustle and bustle, lots of people, just really crowded, all the shops and, and homes and all of these different things. I mean, just this big, and, and we, we, we're wrong. <laughs> Bethlehem, it wasn't like D.C. or Baltimore. It wasn't like Frederick or, or Westminster. It wasn't even like New Windsor. 
Bethlehem, at the time of the birth of Jesus, was smaller than Union Bridge. Union Bridge right now has a population of 964, last time I counted. God bless Google. Bethlehem's population at most would have been 900. Bethlehem. Why would the king of the universe be born in Bethlehem? And wait, Mary and Joseph, they're from Nazareth. How's that work? Well, it just so happens that in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we find out that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David. Just so happened. And they get to Bethlehem, and it is packed. There's no guest rooms available. And... The contractions start. I think sometimes in our purified imagination, Jesus just appeared in the manger. We don't know how long she was in labor, but it was labor. And this promised child is born. And it's this glorious moment, right? I think for many of us, we, we, we echoed the verses that were read earlier out of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He'll reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on for and forever. The Lord of the armies will accomplish this. Oh, there's this majestic moment it's huge. It's like when um, uh, Jay-Z and his wife had their baby named Blue Ivy. Great name. They renovated an entire hall of the hospital. They adorned it with the most expensive fixtures. It was the most elegant of maternity wards ever to bring into the world Blue Ivy. Here is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the picture is probably better seen as this. saw this picture when I was in high school, and it made an impact on me, and I just saw it again this morning as I was reading through. It's a picture by Gary Melchers. He painted it in the late 1800s. It's called The Nativity, and what it pictures is a dad who looks completely shocked, an exhausted mother, and this child in a manger. That's how you would do it, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's just put him out back. Let's put him in a manger. Unthinkable. So what do you do next? You announce the birth of the child. And today we have Facebook, which is so helpful when it comes to announcing children's births. You, you get uh, uh, things in the mail with fancy pictures. 
Back in the 70s, it was fancy cigars and a slap in the back, right? But here, what you get is God announcing the birth of his child in an only God kind of way. He goes to the most unlikely of people to announce the birth of this child, to announce the coming of the Savior. He shows up to see the shepherds, right? The shepherds were uh, the dreg of society. Always dirty. Worked out in the dusty, muddy fields with these oily, nasty sheep. They regularly helped birth lambs, and so they would be regularly covered in blood. And as a result, Jewish law said they needed to be seven days away from the blood in order to enter the temple to worship. But because this was a regular part of their job, these weren't really church-going guys. They were some of the most untrustworthy people of the culture of the day. They regularly adopted sheep into their folds that they might find wandering. They regularly went to another person's field to feed their sheep. They weren't allowed to testify in court case because they have their tendency to, to be dishonest. You weren't allowed to purchase anything from a shepherd. You weren't allowed to purchase milk or wool or, 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 a, or a baby goat because it was just assumed that those things were things that shepherds had stolen. The Mishnah, which is the the written record of the oral law at the time, says this, shepherds are incompetent. (laughs) No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen in a pit. So here sit the the bad boys of the day, these hardworking, sketchy, rugged dudes, probably getting settled in for the night as their sheep are munching on the grass and they're starting to bed down and have their fire built, probably cast in lot to see who gets stuck with the overnight shift. It's a bunch of guys sitting in a field, so they're probably telling jokes, making small talk about sports and arguing about sports. Um, these, these men were known actually to have some of the keenest and sharpest senses. Okay, they were able to, to hear things because they would listen so very carefully, and they were always on the lookout for subtle noises that would imply that somebody or something was coming. They needed to protect the sheep from becoming prey. They needed to protect the sheep from themselves from wandering off. And they needed to protect themselves. So they would listen for other people who were sneaking up on them. Because if people were sneaking up on the shepherd with the sheep, it was usually to either steal from them or to come into the presence of the shepherds to confront them about stealing their sheep. So they'd always be listening no matter what was going on. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 2 says this, And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here you have these shepherds out in their fields getting ready for the evening, and suddenly there's an angel in front of them, and their senses are completely on fire. As the glory of the Lord is in front of them, on the sides of them, behind them, it is just completely overwhelming. And, and just because God has a sense of humor, he gave me a perfect illustration of what that is like this morning. So this morning, uh, we were getting ready to come to church, uh, and I had to move my son's truck because he had parked behind the car, which is no big deal. You know, it's, it's super early, so I am... I tried to be super quiet. I actually tried to be quiet enough where I didn't wake said son up. 
because I'm a nice dad. I got into his truck, and I was getting ready to move it with the snow. You know how quiet it is outside? No neighbors are up. It's kind of dark. I get in his truck. I take the key, start the truck, and I am met with, (laughs) he left the radio on max. My soul leapt out of my body in that moment. It was just like, ah! and then I figured out what it was, turned it off, moved the truck, and then I wasn't quite so quiet when I went back in the house after that. The shepherds are in the field, and suddenly it's at full volume everywhere they look. And I love the old King James is very poetic, and they were sore afraid. Yeah, no, 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 no. They were terrified. They were terrified because now standing from them, not just the glory of the Lord, but standing before them is an angel of the Lord. Now get out of your mind the, the tinkling little bells and the super feathery winged dude that has a halo and plays a harp. Get out of your mind Clarence or Cupid. Angels are terrifying. This is one of God's heavenly hosts, one of God's soldiers. This is the military of God appearing in the flash of glory out of nowhere. They're terrified, and probably the assumption that they make is a good assumption. Well, they're here to kill me. And, 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 and it's, it's the angel knows it, and so the angel speaks to them. Verse 10, don't be afraid. Look, I'm giving you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Don't be afraid. This is good news of great joy. Now listen, your first reaction isn't going to be, this ought to be good news. So, so let's, let's, let's imagine for a moment that you are taken hostage. And you've been locked in a small closet in the dark, food being fed to you under the door for months. You've had no interaction with any person at any time over those months. It's the same thing. Moment by moment, hour by hour, Day after day, week after week, you see nobody, you hear nobody, it's dark, you're alone, you're, you're, you are starting to lose your mind, and suddenly in the middle of just a normal day after day after day after day, the door gets kicked in and there is a Navy SEAL standing there with an AR-15 looking at you. What is your first response? Terror. Terror. Until that SEAL says to you, no, no don't be afraid. I'm here to rescue you. Which was the message of the angel. Don't be afraid. I have got good news of great joy. This is amazing news. Hear this announcement. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. There is a Savior. He didn't come and say, listen, there's a judge, there's an executioner. He's coming for you. The angel says, no, there there is a savior. This one, Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the world might be saved through him. Great. Where do we find the savior? Where do we find this one we have been waiting for? Where do we find the the long-awaited, anointed one? He's wearing a onesie in a crib in Bethlehem. Just like you would do it, right? Unsearchable. Unthinkable. Well, that one angel gives them the message, 
one angel alone isn't enough to respond to what it is that God is doing in that moment. And so it says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel. A band of the soldiers of God arrive in the night sky. And what they do is say this, glory to God in the highest heaven. And I'll use the traditional version of this. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. What what they're announcing is a peace treaty. (laughs) Glory to God in the highest. He's extending peace to you who don't deserve it. You, You are an enemy of God, warring against God, rebellious against God. You have tried to push him off the throne. You are in a war you can never win. You're gonna pay with your lives and yet glory to God in the highest He's extending a peace offer to you. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. I tell you what, if there is a phrase in scripture that is more familiar to people and less understood than that, I don't know what it is. Goodwill towards men. That must mean I'm supposed to be nice to everybody, right? Well, that's what the Hallmark movies would have you think. But, but it's more like this. Two little girls are at recess. A little boy comes running up to one of them, and, and not aggressively or super hard, but walks up to one of them and goes, bam, punches his arm and runs away. She goes, oh. But her friend looks at her and says, oh, I think he likes you. This is the declaration of the angelic SEAL team that is amazed by what God is doing. God is extending to you peace. And he likes you very much. The dregs of society, the rebellious ones, the thieves, the liars, the unclean ones who are not allowed to worship, those who are their first time in church, those who have been in church a long time, the cheaters, the adulterers, the gossips, the liars, Peace on earth and goodwill to men. See, God could have had Jesus born in a palace, surrounded by all the fancy accoutrements, all the right people, the great wealth, the important people. But the shepherds never would have been able to draw near. So instead he came as a baby in Bethlehem to an unlikely unlikely couple as parents. And he did so so that even the least of these could go to him for grace and mercy, even the shepherds. We finish reading here our passage, Luke 2. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off. They found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had just seen and heard, which are just as they had been told. The 
the miracle of Christmas is that God drew near, so near that even a wretched shepherd could draw near to him. So near that even you and I could bow the knee. Glory to God in the highest. He's offered us peace. I think he kind of likes us. Father, would you take your word and apply it to our hearts wherever we may be right now. For those who are wrestling with their standing with you, Father, I pray that they would find your love for them, your mercy, your grace to be so very appealing they can't help but run into your presence. For those of you, those of us who are are continuing to do a walk with you, who are committed to you, who love you, who have spent our time simply adoring you, I pray that even in this moment, we would be reminded that we're just like the shepherds, not deserving of any opportunity to come into your presence. Lord, I pray that throughout these next days, even the next weeks, that, Father, we would be overwhelmed with the Christmas message that the God who created us, who we have rebelled against, stepped out of heaven to draw near to us so that we might be saved, we might be carried into his presence. God, I pray that we would give you the glory you deserve as we consider what it is you did for us in Christmas. It's in the name of this gift that you have given to us, Jesus Christ.